Hey everybody, and welcome to the Doctors of Learning Virtual Roundtable, where we three doctors of physical therapy discuss the art and the science of the stuff we're putting on our feet. But today uh, we have Dave Ames from Aim For It Run Coaching coming back to talk with us. We had um, great response from the last time he was with us, and we just frankly like chatting and running with him um, and learning from him. So we wanted to bring him back in, and we fielded questions from you all um, today uh, just to 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 ask him and kind of be a springboard for our conversation. And so Dave, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, you got it dudes. Um, yeah. Love, love what you do. Um, obviously. Yeah. We had, a, we had a great success with the, with the last time we did this and uh, you know, it was a nice comfort level <laughs> between the three of you and, 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 and myself and uh, you know, much love obviously from everything I do. I believe in the run too. I mean, you know, these guys got mad respect over there for what you guys are doing and, you know, I think I, I think we wrapped up last time we did this by saying, you know, this is just excellent for the running community in general. The more quality knowledge that there is in our sport out there is, you know, can can go a long way. So yeah, just grateful to be here and let's get down to business. Yeah. And uh before we jump in, uh, you know, I am getting firsthand experience with Coach Dave. Do you got do you get do you go by Coach Dave? I should know this at this point. Uh, but he <laughs> Didn't didn't Bill Bowerman say the meanest son of a you know what uh, called me coach? Uh, I think you think that's in the book a long time ago. But uh, um, no, I, I don't care, man. It's fine. Some people say coach, Davy, David. You know, it's, I'm sure there's they've sweared worse things on the track too. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I signed up. I officially committed to doing a marathon in the fall, and I signed up, and he welcomed me into the Amfort Run Coaching family. So I get to to learn from him over the next five or so months um, doing the lakefront marathon in Milwaukee uh, or training for it, I suppose, um, depending on how confidently I want to talk about it. So excited to have you back on here and let's, let's jump in. I think the first thing that we wanted to talk about was something that we kind of went back and forth a little bit about after last time. And it was talking about holistic running versus expect expectations running and coaching. Could you define those terms for us and kind of just start, start a conversation on that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, when I first got into coaching many years ago, and, and again, I think I said this last time, my first years of coaching, I was about 21 years old, 22, and, you know, scared to death. I mean, everybody has to start somewhere, right? So God knows what I was even doing, or if you, even if you want to classify that as coaching, right? But I learned, and I, and I tried to do the best I can. But those days, I was more of what I call an expectation coach. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was still thinking I was only, I was going to be competitive myself. Uh, so I couldn't almost get over that because I struggled a lot in my career when I was actually fast that I put way too much pressure on myself. I had to be at this certain point by this time of year, I had to run this certain time uh, by this point, or this workout had to go this way. This easy run had to go this way, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And it almost, turned into my coaching style was expectation based in, in that I was actually putting way too much uh, emphasis on our athletes to perform at quality levels. And, and, you know, I will fully admit that it, it burned even a few bridges with people's a long time ago. Um, you know, they didn't like the style and, and really at the end of the day, everything that I learned in the sport that was like bad habits, like training on expectation, I ended up actually turning that over to my own coaching philosophy. And really it never got out of the great, out of the, out of the gate too well, because there was always clashes and conflicts and things like that based on personalities and stuff. I look at my coaching now though, and it's more of a holistic approach. I want 
somebody who I coach to be running 25 years from now and be able to say, hey, Dave, what you taught me, whether I'm about to do something really dumb <laughs> or something very good, either way, oh, Dave taught me 20 years ago. You know, I want to coach in a way that the athlete looks at the sport rather than time on the clock, which is part of it, but in a holistic manner that they understand the mind, the body, and the spirit of going out for six miles easy, picking your head out of the watch, and enjoying the beauty of nature, and really having fun on that six-miler versus staring at that watch for six miles or then getting disappointed uh, with yourself when you get home that you didn't have smooth splits on an easy run or things like that, okay? Yeah. That's, that's the holistic style of coaching versus more of the the expectation styles of coaching. In all my years of coaching now, athletes who expect too much of this sport ultimately always fail. They make the sport far too complicated on themselves. But the ones who take this thing naturally, and like I wrote here, em embracing it, taking it step by step, um, the PRs, the love of sport, the accolades, all that stuff usually falls into place naturally. Mm. We have a problem in our sport right now with too much ex expectation training. And why? It's because we have too much technology. There's too much information in this sport right now. I mean, we're sitting here on something we're gonna record, you know, we're recording. I mean, this is, this is quality, right? But there's also a lot of bad information out there too. And so the runner, the runner's mind is on what I call information overload. Mm -hmm. And information overload is because information equals expectation. But if we look at taking the info and absorbing and embracing the info to our own style, not what somebody else said we should do or what this coach said or blah, 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 but embracing it to our own style, we would take a more, a more holistic approach to our sport. Look at the shoe game right now. And you guys can all chime, on, chime in on this. Oh, well, that Nike is supposed to make me run XXX at this race. Okay. Well, that's cool. But then when the athlete dies at 18 or 19 miles, they look back and find out that actually they got a little too overhyped because of what was on their foot, right? And they ran mm -hmm. the first half marathon three minutes too fast or whatever, and there goes the day, you know? We expect that the shoes, that watch, that recovery device that's tracking our sleep is supposed to give us these results. But at the end of the day, to me, the data and the technology isn't allowing us to actually think about the sport in a holistic way and mm -hmm. think about it from the more natural perspective. So over the years myself, I've had to change my own running into the fact that I go out half the time without even a watch on my wrist versus staring at the data and always needing everything uploaded and, you know, doing over to Strava and all that stuff. Like that's fine. But at the end of the day, if you take a holistic approach to this or you coach with a holistic approach, you have longevity with your athletes, your athletes stick around and all the success comes, comes naturally. So and you're going you're gonna to see this when I work with you in that usually when an athlete first comes in, I want them on the watch because I want to be paying attention to what you're doing. But as soon as trust develops, ask any of our athletes that I've coached for many years, I don't need their, their watch for uh, a mm -hmm. six mile run. They can just put the fact that they ran 37 minutes in, into our, our training platform and that's fine. But right. I know that they know what easy is. The expectation runner looks at a six mile run and follows their watch. And maybe that split is 756, 833, 832, 741, 840. And they look at that like, I don't know how to run. I'm out of shape. Um, you know, hmm. running sucks. I never want to do this again versus the holistic runner who goes out and sees six miles.
takes their head out of the watch, enjoys the beauty of the sport and the endorphins, and in turn is fresher both mentally and physically for the next day ahead. I feel yeah, like that's, you're, we all have something. David, DJ, why don't you go first? Sure. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I think – with my own coach and my own running, I think we tend to fall right in the middle. Like I do have my watch on, but I'm not really looking at it. And he said something probably a couple months ago that really stuck with me. And he was like, of course, like when we're doing workouts and I give you numbers, we're going to try and hit those numbers. If we don't hit those numbers, they're just numbers. That's all they are. (laughs) It's all relative. And it's just a matter of going out there and getting better with each day. And he's a big like proponent too of like easy days, easy, hard days, hard. And so like for pretty much all of my easy days, my first mile is like eight thirty something. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And guess what? Does the run end up just as great as if you went out 20 seconds, 30 seconds faster, probably even better. Right. And so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Simple. You go, Matt. I'm going to nerd out for a second that, yeah, what, what Dave is talking about is very true. People have these expectations like this watch is telling me exactly what pace I'm supposed to hit. This shoe is supposed to make me this much faster. The problem is all of these things are based on algorithms that are not taking you as the individual into account, right? It's the average or even some of these algorithms in these watches, not based on hard science. They're just put in as, as numbers. So do you really trust that? Or do you trust your body going, please slow down or I'm going to break? That's the big thing. Same thing. We talk about shoes a lot here. Certain companies put numbers on these shoes. You have to realize that's the average. Even if it's a certain number, there's going to be people that are going to be above and some people are going to be way below that will have a negative response. And we don't know enough yet to predict who's going to be a positive or a negative result up until you put those on and get into a race situation. So always take that stuff with a grain of salt and know that's, what's really hard about trying to predict people. You take the average, you lose the individual. And that's what we have trouble with actually in my field, in the research world, trying to go, well, I'm a clinician too. There's sometimes a gap between these two fields going, Oh, this is what the research says, but this person is totally different. So that's why listen to yourself. If you have a great coach, listen to your coach when they say, you know, hold off a little bit. This will, this, this comment, this stuff goes really well into the question. I'll probably ask just a second, but Nathan, let me not steal your thunder, but this is really important to listen what your body says. Yeah. Not so much my thunder. I probably have the, uh, the least valuable thing to add to the conversation, but um, you know, I think one of the things you talked about is when you make, when you make running a time, the ultimate goal, like the thing that you're shooting for that is when, when a lot of the things can be lost. I remember my biggest sport growing up was actually wrestling. So I wrestled um, uh, very competitively. My dad was my coach forever. But for me, when wrestling, when, when winning certain matches or placing a certain way was, was the goal that I was shooting for, I, I think that's where the whole mental game came into everything. And I was just out of it. And I wouldn't wrestle as smooth. And I wouldn't be able to just go. Like, there's a lot of leverage and feel that comes with wrestling, especially as it, this we're not talking about wrestling, but sport develops to more of scrambling, a lot of wrestling anyway. So I, I just, I see that where if you have your focus so heavily on a time or so heavily on a workout or whatever it is, you, you lose what's actually the bigger goal that you have to find for whatever it is for yourself. And I was wondering for you, Dave, if that's where, um, you know, you've talked about sports psychology and you have somebody that you work with. Um, I don't know if it's officially through, uh, your run coaching or if it's somewhere, some, some other way, but you know, is that 
kind of how you started thinking about that too, in terms of sports psychology and how do you, with your athletes, think about like the mental game of running? I'd say I spend more time on the mental game than the physical actual training. That's honestly, it's not hard to write training if you've been doing it for a while and, and you understand and, and you're well versed on, on multiple philosophies. We're going to talk about philosophies and things, you know, later, um, you know, but at the end of the day, no, I mean, um, you really, if you can't get into the athlete's mind as a coach, you're, you're pretty much useless. You have to be within, within their head. Um, there, there's, there's really, there, there's no way around it. Um, you know, we talk about expectation training versus holistic training. Um, I'll use today as an example. We went up to New Hampshire. We sent five ladies up to New Hampshire, up to Man- Man- uh, Manchester area, New Hampshire today to, to run a half. And um, our top two girls there were the number two and number three seed behind number one seed, Molly Seidel, this morning. Okay. So what did we, th- what did, what did we talk about all week? How to not freak out because <laughs> Molly's on the line next to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, if they're, if those two athletes were an expectation athlete, they would have lost their minds over this because they would have over, over, overthought the whole process of having a, a, you know, one of the best American distance runners ever standing on the line, but the holistic athlete that they are, the two of them, they embraced that opportunity. They looked at that opportunity as a, as a, they, they mentally are programmed by me, the coach, as well as themselves by listening to what I say to them to embrace that opportunity, be grateful for that opportunity and stand on that line proud versus scared. You know what? Uh, (laughs) So now here's the thing. Neither one of them raced that well today. They raced okay. And both of them have been on a straight PR tear for like the last six, eight months. Everything's been peachy, right? Well, you know what? You need to get your butt kicked once in a while. And neither one raced, they raced okay. But if they were expectation athletes, by the way, I was on the phone with them at 7.30 this morning or 7 a.m. West Coast this morning, okay, talking these races out. That, those conversations went quick and easy, and we're ready to have their one-on-one call next week, break apart everything. I ask for a, for a recap with all my athletes on their races. So when we have our weekly call, I know what's – and I'll ask you this too someday. You know, I want to know what went on through your head, what you were thinking pre-race, post-race, <laughs> during, and at the same time, I like to know what could you use more of. Did, could you use more leg speed? Do, do you need more gas tank? You know, all, all those things. So after, say, Monday or Tuesday of this week, those two athletes who didn't run as well as they should have or, or, or could have, after Tuesday, we've moved on. That's it. Now, if they were an expectation athlete, th- this would linger for four weeks. Right, and I right. see this all the time with athletes, right, where they, they have a bad race and then they wonder why they run like crap for four weeks straight in their workouts because they're still hung up on the race. You know, so it's mentally getting into their brain and trying to make them again more holistic versus expectation, but also just trying to really help process their thinking during a race, during a, during a post-race, how they analyze it, how they go into a race, it speaks wonders. And yes, a lot of that help, you know, I've learned a lot from our sports psychologist, Adrienne Langelet. I also coach her privately too. Um, she, you know, she's done some stuff, but I, I'd say probably 10 years ago, I started to look at the mental side of sport on top of the science. And that's where I really started to see the gains in my coaching because I really started to be able to relate to the athlete at hand. And that's an intangible, I think, with, with coach, you know, having a coach who's, who's willing to take, and that's what you, that's one of the reasons I signed on with you is the time that you're willing to give to, to your athletes. Um, You know, like you said, anyway, I mean, you can sign up for 
I have lots of patients who have online coaches who they've never like actually spoken to and they just get, you know, they just get shot numbers for the week. Um, and then they just change their algorithm of like, Oh, I actually only want, and then the person says like, I only want 20 miles or 40 miles or whatever next week. And then it just like within five seconds switches things. So you, I think that there's, there's, yeah, anyone can send out numbers to run and workouts to run. And I think it is that, you know, having, having somebody on your team, uh, that, that can take the time to, to help you understand yourself more. Cause if you can understand where you're at more, you can start, but, I feel like that's the first part of diagnosis, right? Of yourself um, is, and if you don't have someone that can help you figure out where you were at mentally or whatever the, whatever it was, what your legs were feeling, if you don't know the right questions to ask a coach can be helpful for that. And that can be huge, but yeah, Matt, do you want to, we, 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 again, we got some questions from some, from some of our followers. Do you want to shout out the first one here? You guys made so many connections to all of them, but I think the first one that's that's worth jumping into in order is we had a great question last time. We talked a lot of a decent amount about understanding when to go and when to go when to go hard and when to go easy. Both Dave and DJ mentioned this already, as Nathan did, in terms of knowing kind of when to back off, when to go hard. So we had a question going: Can you expand a little bit on uh, Dave your philosophy? on the balance between quality trading and having enough rest. And this is a common challenge, not just in coaching, but other areas in addition to strength, like straight coaching and in rehab as well as knowing, yeah, what's that balance like? So how do you see that and how do you provide that in your coaching? Sure. Well, I mean, first of all, I get this, I get this question a lot. I mean, uh, obviously as a coach, and I know you guys have done some coaching as well and stuff, and, and you've, you've had good quality coaches as, in, in your lives. Um, as a coach, we can't take everybody on number one. So we have to interview the athlete, you know, and I've been doing this for 20 years now. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but within about three to four minutes, Nathan, you passed the test. Um, you know, uh, but I can figure out whether they're going to be, you know, an expectation runner or a holistic runner. And I can figure that out really, really quickly. Um, but at the end of the day, when, when they ask, you know, Dave, what is your philosophy or how do you coach? You know, I was lucky enough when I started in this, this game to just make sure that I wanted to be successful from every angle of the sport. I wanted to be extremely well versed. I wanted to be well versed in all aspects of the sport. So I studied the likes of Lydiard. I studied the likes of probably the guy I'd say who I really relate with the most, both mentally and physically is the great Joe Vigil. Um, Billy Squires, who obviously coached Greg Meyer, Boston, Billy Rogers, uh, Salazar for a point. Uh, we'll talk about books later. There's a new one that just came out. That's amazing on, on Billy Squires. Zadopak, uh, you know, Percy Cerruti, all that stuff is great. You know, I, I was, I was blessed to have good legendary high school and collegiate coaching. But at the end of the day, when people say, what's your philosophy, it's the Dave Ames philosophy. It's not everybody else's philosophy. And I do feel that the most successful coaches and runners out there are the ones who can blend all of those things into their own, because then you're adaptable to all different types of athletes. I really think that some of your best coaches on the planet are not just elite coaches or they're not just track club, slow coaches. They're versatile coaches that can handle the 4:30 marathoner, but they can handle the guy trying to break 2:10 or the gal trying to break 2:30 or 2:20. And so adapting those philosophies into my own philosophy has helped me basically utilize all those skills and, and correlate the task at hand, which is obviously the individual, the individual runner. Um, you know, balancing rest and and hard training can be very 
very difficult. We have a problem with rest in our industry right now. I think we talked, we talked, we talked, touched on this last time. Rest actually equals growth, right? So in order to rest, it baffles me sometimes when we talk, we're going to talk about this later. We're talking about tapering, right? Well, tapering means reducing volume, right? So that is technically resting. So if we understand that a taper works, right? Why can't we understand that that off day in our training plan 20 weeks ago really had a purpose, you know? So at the end of the day, it baffles me. So some runners don't realize that if the coach writes the off day, there's a scientific purpose of why that is in there. And we just have a problem because there's too much information out there in our sport that's telling us that rest is bad. Rest is not good. Go look at a uh, go look at somebody's training training log, right? And 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 you know you're supposed to have Sunday and Friday off. Say 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 you write training for them five days. Sunday's full of uh, a hit class and a, and a hard peloton ride. Friday's uh, uh, CrossFit, and then you look at the seven days, including the sixty miles you also ran in that week, and you say, well, where's the rest? And then you wonder why the runner's not getting anywhere because science, in order for science to take place, rest is part of the equation. So how do you balance that with good running? Well, you don't do it like they did many, many years ago. We talked about this last time too, the Tuesday interval session, the Thursday tempo, and then hammer the hell out of your long run on Saturday. It will come back to bite you all, all the time. And what runners don't understand is that adaptation happens through rest. So say Tuesday, you run five by a mile. All right, so it's going to take us, what, three to four days maybe for that to physiologically saturate, right, or something, depending on the athlete, right? Well, why would you come back on Thursday and go try to hammer tempo when you already stressed a different form of the aerobic system with VO2 max the first day? You need to let that – isn't the point of teaching and coaching and, and even as a runner getting the maximum benefit out of your workout, right? So if we're running the maximum benefit of our workout, we have to let our workout scientifically do its purpose. So if you want to run another – uh, another workout that week, save it for Saturday or Sunday when you have three or four days of, of easy running under your belt. Remember, rest doesn't mean you have to take the day off. It also means it can be an easy run. And, and that, you know, instead of coming back and, and running another workout. That is if they actually take that run easy and which <laughs> oh, we get into some trouble with exactly. some of these watches. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Exactly. So, so you, you really just have to balance. But the, to, to, to sum all of this up, my philosophy, as many runners should hopefully take this philosophy themselves, is find the correct balance. Where do you run the best at what mileage that you're not injured, that you're happy, that it doesn't feel like it's sure, that your race results are, are the best, and that you're gaining every week. You're not plateauing, you're not declining. And if you can find that balance between rest and hard training, you're good. You know, I look at, I could probably some of my athletes push them a little harder to get 30 or 45 seconds extra off of a half marathon PR. But if that 30 or 45 seconds means they're always going to be in PT or they're always going to be injured. Well, as we were talking earlier, probably not good for me as a coach, if it gets around that I break everybody in half. Right. So of course, and I ran some t statistics last time and I cleaned them up actually for this one. We have 88% of our athletes since the beginning of aim for it run coaching in 2017 with a healthy running record here. And there's been a lot of people who have been here the whole time. There's been a lot of people who've been in and out and come back or I'll never see again. But I do feel that that, that balance between hard work and rest is what has given us those statistics versus me really trying to maybe get more, again, expectation coaching or get a little more egotistical 
And, you know, next thing you know, we do something that's a little over somebody's head. And next thing you know, that goal race that that person wanted to go to, well, they don't end up going because they're hurt. Right. So, you know, it's, and this goes with, you know, somebody, there was a question, I, I don't know if we're going to touch on it, but there was a question about what's the maximum mileage, what was it, like, to run a three-hour marathon, right? Or like, what's the best, what do you, how did he phrase it, Matt? He said, what's the average mileage to run under three, uh, to run under a three-hour marathon? The individual is currently 55 and debating going up versus adding uh, faster running in. Gotcha. So what that, if, if that uh, individual is listening, understand that it's, there is no secret. Too many people in the sport think there's a secret weapon workout, that there's a secret sauce, that there's a secret coach, all that stuff. What the individual who asked that question, and that's a great question, by the way, they need to figure out themselves. They need to figure out not anybody else's, just because we have boatloads of females here that can break a three-hour marathon that are 45 years old plus but they're not running 80 a week anymore. They're running 55 a week now because they're 45, 47. So do they need to run 80 and run 302 or do they want to run 254 and run healthier? So, you know, it's, it's a toss up and it's a tough one because, you know, we've talked about this before, Matt, that it's the runner doesn't want to listen. And that goes with the cross training, like you said, and you see this in PT all the time too. Well, you know? what would you say are, uh, uh, I have so many things I want to, ask or say too, but what, what would you say, you know, what are those, some of those signs to learn yourself? You know, like what are some of those things that would say, Oh, I should probably add mileage or I should probably not add mileage and more think about making more quality workouts instead of increasing mileage. What, what do you look at in your runners for that? Well, communication, I, mean, I need to know from them what's going on. I mean, I can write things on paper all day long, but if they're not going to fill out the online training portal that, that I use, and give me data or give me data, give me feedback. I'm coaching blind. You yeah. know, I want to know, but I think also if you don't have a coach or you don't have a, at the end of the week, you should have your own training log and it should be a private training log on top of maybe the one you share with your coach. But at the end of the day, that training log at the end of the week, you should be able to assess that week. What did I get out of this week? And then, you know, let's face it. Races dictate, where we are at or time trials or workouts and things, you know, if we're falling off the last couple mile repeats of a six by mile sesh, you know, the last three times we did it over 16 weeks or something. Well, all right. We need some late race stamina, either, either our engine's not strong enough or maybe our leg speed's just not fast enough to keep up with our heart, you know? So there's a lot of things that we can do, but again, communication helps that too. Now, if you don't have anybody to communicate with, I guess the proof does lie in the pudding. Go back and look at your results. Look at your workouts. Look at your races. Um, you know, but a lot of this all just comes down to understanding feel. And that mm -hmm. comes from, you know, either your coach or, or good reference or, you know, podcasts like this, you know, knowing that the data isn't always what you need. It's really up here versus how, how, you, how you're working with your muscles. Yeah. Yeah. Two, two quick things that I wanted to touch on that you had, that you had talked about. One was, talking about all your different influences of philosophy, how they've all like, oh, there's a lot of really good books that you've read. There's a lot of good, you know, mentors that you've learned from. And the way you answered the question was a lot like what Matt said before about how research talks about the general and it ha and it only has a certain amount of generalizability to people. And I think what you do well and like what we have to do as clinicians every single day is take the whole body of literature and what we know about the science and then give it to that person because the person is different 99% of the time. They're not going to be perfect in the inclusion criteria of that study. 
Um, and then even if they are, they might not respond exactly like the best person in that study or even the average. So I think that there's a lot of wisdom there in, in kind of what you were saying about how you have to take all of the philosophies and tune it to an individual. And that's a skill that takes time to develop. That's what clinical expertise is in the, in the physical therapy world. Like there, there's a reason uh, expert opinion is in our clinical practice guidelines. Um, we have these huge things that go through some of the more common uh, types of pain or injuries or conditions that we see. And expert opinion is one of the levels of evidence because not everybody fits into a research study. Yeah. And then um, there's something else, but it, it's gone. So <laughs> Matt, why don't also, you go? Oh, you go DJ. Yeah, no, I just also wanted to add too, like subjective value is huge too. how you are feeling, how you are checking in with yourself. And like, I've been running competitively since 2008, maybe I'm still figuring that out, you know, and it's like, it's, it's sometimes it's seasonal dependent and it's kind of like maybe one year your legs are really hot and you can close like a madman, but you can't hang for the middle part of the race or whatever. And like you have different strengths at different points. And so figuring that out with yourself and whether it's from a competition and performance standpoint, or even just a recovery standpoint, like how can you absorb your training? Cause that's what it comes down to is you can only get better if you're able to absorb and then continue growing. So yeah. exactly. there's some, I remember my other thing. Yeah. Great. Okay. The other thing I was going to say is some of the, the, now healthiest and some of the best runners that I work with now um, are the ones who've had a major injury or surgery. Because what surgery does to people is it actually makes you understand what rest does. Because, you know, if I, if I'm working with somebody post-op ACL, you know, reconstruction, and they go out and they do 10 squats and then their knee blows up, they, they learn to understand what, like, there's just a, a deeper understanding of what work does to your body and that it does need time to recover. And so, you know, even smaller surgeries like meniscectomy uh, or just some kind of debridement, people learn what it means to rest in those acute periods of their rehab. And I find that they just understand. And I don't want everyone to need to have surgery, including myself, to learn that lesson, that rest is super valuable, that you can get so much out of it, and that it can actually be detrimental to your body if you don't take the rest you need. So um, I just find that anecdotally, those people going through surgeries have are more tuned with their bodies than the ones that haven't. Um, sometimes yeah, I I'd say some of the most dialed in runners I have right now. And I, I'd consider like right now being maybe the last couple of years, like through the pandemic and stuff, people have been very loyal and, and some, and some people have coached five, seven, eight years plus. Um, they all went through a major setback somewhere along the lines. And before that setback, they were doing all the wrong things. And that setback taught them, and again, like you said, Nathan, I mean, we don't ever want to uh, have the surgery take place. But right. let it up, what, if something happens out of their control, that's, that's the beauty of this sport. And it's, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but this sport will remind you really quickly. I mean, look at like, like we just talked about, about this morning up in New Hampshire. I mean, both of these gals, extremely talented runners. And, and by the way, very proud of them. They gave it all that that's all that matters but they just had an average day. And you know what? That happens. And they will learn from that and, 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 and move and, and move on, uh, you know, through and stay the course. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a complex situation. Right. 
I feel like speaking of which, we're, we're going very nicely into this next question, talking about how to optimize this, understanding race conditions, understanding expectations. So we have the, the next question is asking, uh, for someone that struggles with tapering, is there a good argument for racing at peak condition? I'm just going to say that the way it was written and let that fly. Yeah, I was a little confused on, on where this question was, was, was going. So I kind of broke it down for our, for our listeners to really get really creative with this and kind of talk taper, talk peak and, and things like that. So the first, the first thing that I think I want to cover for anybody who's not 100% familiar, because you guys know as lifelong runners, the taper can be very, very tricky. Okay. I said this on Instagram or something recently. I wrote this, but in order to taper we have to be able to taper from something. So if the athlete runs 50 miles the four weeks out from a goal marathon, but the weeks before that were 42, 35, 22, missed a week, a bunch of inconsistency in there, well, what are you tapering from? There's really nothing. I'd argue actually give yourself another week of training maybe catch another long run or another and another workout or something, and then just do an aggressive two week taper. And maybe you'll feel a little bit better. Now, if that athlete's been running 50 miles a week, 52, 55 for the last seven weeks. Okay. Yeah. They're putting in some volume. Okay. We, you know, we can, we can taper off that. It's funny mm-hmm. because we were just talking about rest earlier, right? Taper is rest is part of taper. It doesn't mean if you're, whether you're running or you're, or you're taking a day off, you're still reducing volume. So in order to taper, by the way, when we taper, we taper to run in peak condition. And by peaking, we can actually extend the peak past the goal race too. We see this a lot in track and field and things like that. We come off a big event, but then we rest a little off off that big event, maybe a few days here and there because we're running shorter disciplines. And next thing you know, we take the volume back up to average levels, not not pre-taper levels because that work's already been done. You, you guys have heard the term, the haze in the barn. But we take you back, say that runner's running 60, well, we take them up to 45, right, post-event, and we ride a six- to eight-week peak from a taper. So peaking is essentially your best form of running, but it needs to be created via tapering. And tapering happens, obviously, when we come down from our higher mileage or our intense workouts. So there's – I wanted to break that down before we really said anything. Cause again, no, no disrespect to the question. I just wasn't sure where it was really going, but the, I want to give five common mistakes that happen during a taper though. Um, and I think this is really, really good to really good to cover. So the first one is when we taper, we're either tapering too little or too much. So that's one and two right there. So sometimes people don't taper enough, right? So they run 60 miles three weeks out. They run 57 uh, the week before, and then they have 51 miles in their legs going into the marathon. Okay. Well, I would probably think that you're going to run pretty flat. You know, you're, you're, you might be a little rested, but, you know, you're, there's, there's nothing there. There's no substance. And again, remember, rest equals growth, and rest makes you faster. So, so either we taper too little or we taper too much. You know, I see this with a lot of beginning runners. Oh, well, I'll just take a week off now because I, I got all my long runs done and I can just rest. Or why don't I take these four weekends and run six miles when really you probably could sneak another 18 in. So maybe they don't do, maybe they don't do enough in that taper and then they come into that taper, um, you know, extremely flat. Um, 
switching your days around during a taper is definitely something that a lot of people tend to mistake as well. Remember, when we taper, first of all, the body goes through changes. That's why we're, we're susceptible to catching a cold during taper. That's why our legs are restless. We don't sleep well. Our appetite can be crazy or it can be non-existent, right? Um, mentally, we're just, we're going all over the place. Again, this goes back again to the holistic runner knows how to keep the mind, mind calm. The expectation runner is already predicting the time that's going to be happening and they haven't even got through the taper yet. So at the end of the day, um, making sure that you can understand that if you keep your body in the same rhythm, you know, I might, I may get ostracized for this because I am a believer that in the first week of tapered, you can actually sneak in extra off days there. I've been doing this for years with people. And again, tapers are all individual to the individual runner, but sometimes you can sneak a back to back weekend or, or, or a couple days extra in there. As long as you go back to that current day, you know, if that runner has Friday off all the time, go back to that within the last two weeks and you keep the consistency same, you know, you're usually good to go because the body likes the days that it, that it, that it remembers that you run. Now taking off say three days in a row before your goal marathon, when you've never done that before, you're going to, you're going to feel flat as a pancake, obviously on race day. But again, it's so individualized that it's all individualized based on the runner, but the goal, especially in shorter distance stuff is the goal is to taper. And then, you know, I look at, I look at right now, we have October 11th, Boston, right. And right around the corner, we have CIM. And so in most coaches' minds, and I know you guys will agree with this too, that it's kind of a quick turnaround from October 11th to the first weekend of December. We don't want people to normally do that, but it's a COVID, it's a post COVID year. A lot of people have flights and airfare and stuff. And, you know, it's not my favorite thing, but I'm, I consider myself a nice guy and I'm letting these, you know, letting some of these athletes do these things. And so I have to get creative in that time to, we're actually going to taper for Boston and we're going to try to ride the peak essentially into CIM. And so that's the difference in terms of breaking the two up. But when it comes to answering the question of racing in peak condition, why wouldn't you want to race in peak condition? I mean, that's kind of what I always would think. I mean, we see this all the time with people, people and, and, and runners and coaches. And we think we talked about this last time too. Uh, well, you got to go into this race on absolutely trash legs because that's how we're supposed to race. Well, if we taper for our goal race and we're supposed to race with fresh legs, why are we running all of our other races beat up? I, I want, I want the, the, the athlete to lay it all out there so I can find, you know, this is where I do need data so I can actually find out the true fitness. I mean, if this is a, a marathon time, a tune up, right? A half marathon tune up, say five, six weeks out from a goal marathon. I want the true God's honest effort from that athlete, not that athlete going into that race with 88 miles in their legs and they're just smashed potatoes because they're not going to run well right? Mm -hmm. So it helps us determine the future. Um, so, but to the way I look at it, no, I mean, if you're going to race, go easy a couple days going into it, run some crisp strides. You know, I love giving, you know, for certain athletes, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of, you don't have to do a huge set, but you know, six, eight quarters going into a 5k or, or, you know, quarters, two hundreds, or even, even for a half, you know, just wake up leg speed, keep it light back off the gas and go race to your maximum potential, you know? So, you're not always in peak condition, but you're good enough to, to race, you know, healthfully and, and fresh. I think to add on to this, I think what you're, what you're speaking about going, you know, if you're going to go race, you might as well taper a little bit because why, Oh, I think some people could will say, Oh, I'm just going to go tempo this race 
which I had, a, I had a coach and say like, why would you ever do that? You're not going to go tempo that race. You're going to run all out, probably burn out. And now you're going to put yourself at risk for an injury because your legs are fatigued. You're in a fatigued state and now you over pushed. So you have the potential for a musculoskeletal injury or the worst thing, putting yourself into overtraining mode. And once you get into an overtraining mode, that can be really hard to get out of. That's the biggest thing you want to avoid. So if you're going to go do a tempo run and you're going to do this on trash legs, go do a tempo run. Don't do the race. If you want to race, you should make sure that your body's ready to handle 100% effort. That's why people, you don't normally hit 100% effort in training. That's why it's called training. You do that in the race and you make sure your body's prepared for that. It's no different in, in, in like the strength and conditioning world. You're not going to make somebody do a one rep max when they're fatigued. A, first of all, it's hard enough to do people. Most people cannot do a one rep max. Yes, they can, but the risk of injury is too high. The people that actually know how to do that to get accurate data, you need to taper for that or else it's going to mess up and you put yourself again. That's the injury risk. So it's really not worth it. This goes back to like all the stuff we talked about, proper training, know when to push, know when not to push. A race is you have to prepare for it. And that includes letting your body rest enough to handle that. And that rest is going to be different depending on who you are. And I think it's important that it, it, after we race, right? there's no reason to go out and hammer 20 the day after there's no reason to come up with another workout the day after or things like that. We want the adaptation to take place from the race. Otherwise the race has no physical benefit in the training. You know, I, I usually come back with a lot of athletes after they've raced, like our, some of our uh, talented New Hampshire athletes that went up there this weekend, you know, they don't need another workout. I'd replace a medium long run in their marathon training. They're going to get a hell of a lot more benefit out of that. They're dead from the race anyways. It's going to take a week, especially pandemic-wise, right? Nobody has been racing. So this, you know, this one's going to take a little while to, to recover from, you know. So, again, I see, uh, I see you making faces, Matt. But uh, You just summarized my whole college career. <laughs> Believe me, I <laughs> post-collegiate. Mine, post <laughs> mine was very similar. Not as bad. In post yeah. It was still pretty bad. I still have a vivid memory of my first college race and being so pissed off that I went and did like 12 by 400 the day afterwards, which if anybody's wondering why I started getting like stress reactions, like, well, you know, you kind of deserve that. You earned it. <laughs> so I, I, I used to do it in high school, man. I remember one meet, I, I, I thought I was going to wad a certain kid and he beat me and I got, you know, I, I drove back to the track and I don't even remember what I did. The coach was livid. Um, but, you know, I just thought I had to run myself into the ground after that. You know, young and free, you know, if I did that, by the way, at 39 years old now, no, I'd be calling all three of you guys for a little help. So <laughs> for sure. I reckon me, I'm in my mid twenties. I'm still thrashed after races. I'm like, well, that's a good, <laughs> good thing. luck that getting me out there. means you're racing. That's that's a good good. Thing. <laughs> yep. So, you know, so there's a lot of things that are all in that, in that category. I thought I'd also touch real quick if we want to talk about tapering, just cause you know, we're actually coming into the fall pretty soon here. Right. And people are going to start, you know, with you know, the Boston's of the world and LA's coming up and, uh, and all that stuff. So, you know, I think some of the best workouts you can do during a taper, by the way, whether you're a coach or you're a runner, know the workouts in a taper that you, when you're tapering that you've done successfully in the past. 
And that's where your coach needs to step in or you, the runner, needs to step in and say, all right, what do I need in these final? Not, you know, we can't increase fitness that much in the final three to four weeks, right? But we can sharpen up. Do you need a little more VO2 max work? I'm, I'm always a big believer in, in, you know, the great Joe V. Hill said it for many years that six by a mile is the best workout to increase VO2 max. And I've believed that for many, many years. And so if, you know, that athlete runs six by a mile really well or, or, or anything, mile repeats or whatever, all right put that, you know, put, put a couple of those sessions in a lot of combo workouts. I see people doing now in the paper because, you know, they see it somewhere else or they physically, you know, they might run, you know, a bunch of Hills and then run some three hundreds flat fast after, you know, on some tired legs, there's a spot in, you know, during training for that. But if that workout's a little over your head, you don't want to be doing that during the taper. I always say mile repeats, eight hundreds, quarters, sixes, thousands, Stick with your classic stuff. Remember, the marathon, too, is, is, a, is a race on rhythm and repetition. So if you're out running a ladder two weeks before your marathon, that doesn't teach you feel by any means. But 8 by 800 does because you're locked in, you're locked and loaded, and you're basically, you know, working on your mechanics, you're working on your flow, and basically, you know, you're hitting consistent, consistent splits. So if anybody has any questions, I mean, they can always email me or, or get a hold of the guys here on this. But definitely 800s, mile repeats, classic, little tempo works, never a bad thing by any means in, in a taper as well, or broken two-mile repeats, things like that. So I figured I'd throw that out there, give a little free advice. Dave is a great, great person for this. And I think most of us, I certainly, as a physical therapist, treat this way, where I am never going to give somebody something unless there's a specific purpose to it. So I encourage my patients to go, hey, ask why I'm giving you this, because I'm not going to waste your time and just give you something random to fill space. We're going to maximize this. So everything has to have a purpose. If you do, I used to drive my college coach nuts because it asked, what's the purpose of this? What's the purpose? And you should. And it shouldn't always be, yeah, you're going to go to the well today. You're going to have like pretty much done. No, it's are you working on your pacing? Are you working on your VO2 max? Are you working on your strength? There should be a specific purpose. And you touch on something, I'm seeing a lot of people and had a lot of people come to me where I'm finding this kind of similar source where people are starting to do these, these combo workouts because they either saw somebody else do it or their coach gave it to them out of the blue and then they get injured. And I'm like, okay, what was the point of doing that workout? Was it because it looks sexy and now you're gonna do four things so what was the purpose of that? You can't do four things at once. If you're going to do something well, do that one thing and work on that. If you do too many things at once, then you're going to end up in any of our offices, which you don't want to do unless you have to. Yep. Yep. No, and yeah, you, you know, you see a lot of that stuff for sure. And, and it's, you know, again, sticking with the classic, sticking with the repetition. We talked about this, I think on the last, on the last recording that it, if you yeah. have to write the workout up your arm, I mean, what, what is your coach thinking, number one, or, or what are you thinking if you don't have a coach? I mean, you know, two by three, four by six, three by two, you know, all that stuff. Okay, but if in distance, it might help your 5K, but in distance running, it's about repetition and it's about rhythm and knowing yourself inside and out. And um, you're right. Some of these workouts with the, the people you see online, I, I like combo workouts at certain points in the year. I call it aerobic variation right? Where, where you're going to run, say, four or five at tempo and then maybe run some quarters. So essentially, you're running six at tempo, but you're breaking the last mile down to four fast quarters or something, you know? There's, there, there's, you're, you're stressing low VO2 max, you're stressing, you're stressing th threshold, that's fine. But taking that same thing in the taper and adding four more 800s to it and even longer tempo, no, it's, you know, it's way over, 
way over your head. So, so you just, you gave me a great reason as going, Hey, this is what the purpose of this. When I've asked people, why, why did you do this? And like, Oh, I just wanted to give them something different. I'm like, yeah. Now, like now is the time you want to do something different. Now, like when you're, when you're, <laughs> you're about to go race, to go race, you're injured and you want me to fix you in, in like a day. Yeah. Sometimes happens. But. And the, and the thing is, is, the runner's mind still will do it nowadays. I, I, with all the good information and I guess all the bad information out there too, it's the, they'll still do it. So. Speaking of good info, we, we did have that question about book recommendations. Um, what, what would you, I mean, I don't know, you probably have your list, but I don't know if you want to break them down to like, here's a good beginner book. Here's some good advanced. <laughs> brought a couple along. <laughs> I have a book. I, I don't want to, with all the laptop issues I already had. So clearly my name is not Gregoria, obviously. Um, it is my wife. I have a massive uh, book shelf full of running knowledge right next to it. So anytime you guys are here in Long Beach, come on over and have a beer and we can, we can dork out for sure. But um, there's, there's a bunch of good stuff. And I, I love when people ask book recommendations, because I'll tell you straight up, I, I, I'd say the number one thing that number one source of learning in all my years of coaching. Again, I, I, somebody said this earlier, I forgot who did, but we're always learning in the sport. <laughs> I, I, there is, I am nowhere near fully educated on this. And you could go ask Joe V Hill, the same thing. He's 90 plus years old. And we're going to, uh, I'll touch on the new book about him. That's out. And he's still studying the sport at 90 plus, you know, you, you can never be satisfied, but, um, but, a lot of the information that I've learned over the years has been through uh, books for sure. So one book here too, this actually has nothing to do with running, but if you ever want to be a coach, um, I'm a huge college football fan. I roll with the tide. I'm a huge Alabama fan. All right. And um, you know, you want to talk about Bear Bryant, it's called Coach. And it's one of the best books you can, you can read. It's, it's called The Life of Paul Bear Bryant. And it's just, it's about team. It's about unity. It's about blending people together. Um, if you also want to talk about another good book that any runner should pick up, or if you want to be a coach, the famous Joe Newton at York High School, coaching cross country successfully. This thing's been around for many, many, many years. You can barely get it anymore. Um, God bless him. He passed, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago or whatever, but just outstanding book there. We talked about Billy Squires being one of my uh, uh, kind of uh, guys I looked up to in philosophies, especially when I lived in the Boston area. This just came out, Born to Coach, by the way. There's Billy Rogers right on the cover uh, with Billy Squires right there. One of the best books I've ever read on running. If you want any tips, old school style on uh, how to run the Boston course, a lot about fart licks, things like that. Just an amazing, amazing book there. This just came out on Joe V Hill, by the way, called Chasing Excellence. One of, probably the best book I've ever read on ever read on running. I'm almost done with it. Um, absolutely phenomenal. This really, really gets into the mind. It gets into family. It gets into the love. Uh, that a coach should have for an athlete um advanced marathoning pete fitzinger one of the best books you could read in, in general um this actually this book if anybody's curious on tapering has one of the best uh quick little breakdowns on how to taper successfully how to take down your mileage via percentages no joke actually this is one of the first books that i ever really learned how to even write training successfully in terms of understanding rest i mean pete has always been He's about the adaptation. He's not about, you know, multiple workouts and all that. So that's a good book. Uh, he also wrote Faster Road Racing, which is 5K to the Half Marathon. Another solid book there uh, by Pete Fitzinger. Uh, and then just two more. Another V Hill book, Road to the Top. You can barely even find this puppy anywhere any, anymore. He still charges $29.97 or something to this day for that book. 
uh, Coach Vigil. He refuses to go to Amazon or anybody big and, and get charged 50 bucks. Um, and he didn't do this for me because I actually got this through Running Warehouse. But he, if you actually, from what I understand, still email him, he will go to the post office personally and sign it for you. Um, and uh, I'm a little bit behind the eight ball on that. But great, great book called Run the Top. And then finally, uh, Greg McMillan's always been a great coach that I've followed for many, many years. And, and I really, really like a lot of his style on things. Um, you Only Faster came out a couple of years ago, too. And uh, that's an outstanding book about uh, training plans to help you train smarter and run faster. Again, we're not copying the stuff and spitting it out, but it provides a you know, good amount of resources and, and things like that. So there's a whole plethora of stuff for you. No one's going to be bored for the next no. 365 days. There we go. <laughs> I, I truly believe, though, if you want – I don't care if you're a coach, if you're a runner, if you want to expand your knowledge in the sport, the, the, the amount of literature – Stay off, stay offline. There's a lot of junk online. Go with the old school stuff. Go with the books, or you know, call up somebody and uh, you know, ask questions. You know, I used to be scared to death of that, but you know, I I found over the years that you know, a simple email. What are they going to do? Say no or not respond? Or maybe they will. Yeah. Well, th that's the same thing, by the way, that we deal with as clinicians. So I have several students who have been like, "Hey, what's the best thing to fall?" I'm like. Turn off social media, turn off Instagram. If you really want to know the solid information, it's all there. The literature's there, the books are there. Go get those, the actual published thing, not somebody's Instagram story. Yeah, right? don't follow Doctors of Running for valid info. Very interesting. <laughs> I'm going to go over there and shoot myself in the foot. Yeah, that's good. I just, I think the reality is, though, I mean, I, I, I say that jokingly, but it's hard to vet. It's hard to vet. Um, media channels because they're going to look good and they might even cite research. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to vet, but. Or if you're a PhD student like me, you start looking at how they're citing it, realize they haven't even read the articles that they're citing because it says <laughs> totally different. I've run into that like three or four times in the last week. I'm like, Make sure you read the article if you're going to cite it. Yeah, totally. Were there any other questions, Matt, or can I, Fire away my final question. I'd say fire away with the final questions. I think okay. those are the big solid ones I think worth worth uh, jumping into. Yeah. So, so the, the last question is for all the people who, who uh, I feel like we all geek out on shoes. So this is for the shoe people. Um, and we're all in wear testing right now. We've got plethora of shoes that we're testing right now or that we've just started running in or just got done testing and so the question is you know what shoe right now that's coming in for testing or that's coming up that you know of are you most excited about uh right now in 2021 it's may 2021 i mean there's there's been a couple i mean you know we're all in the same boat because we get things early right so it's a little bit different on, on our sides of the thing um I think my, my rack is right there but i'm gonna be lazy and not grab them but uh, um <laughs> But at the end of the day, uh, I mean, the Atreyu, the artist, it, it was phenomenal. I mean, a lot of us, I, you know, we had it early. I had it last year. I pounded almost 500 out of the, out of the prototype. The new, pro, or the new production model actually has a little bit more firmness to it. It's a little smoother. I mean, it's just, it's just an extremely well-versatile shoe. I know it has carbon, but that carbon actually feels more like nylon, actually, which I'm finding actually now, and I don't know how much of this is out there, but I'm liking nylon better than carbon because there's a lot more flex to it. There's a lot more maneuverability to it. My foot doesn't fall asleep. You know, we look at something like these, the new endorphin uh, speed two for, is that a June or a fall? I keep, I keep on getting mixed signals. Uh, June. June, I June. think. No. 
So, you know, just had a great run in that this morning. Ran a hard 5K in honor of my buddy yesterday. Yeah, great. I mean, just awesome. And by the way, I don't – people don't like the color. I think it's badass, but that's just me. Um, Dude, I, I like I like it. Forget the I love it. Yeah, I didn't even see that buy. That's sweet. That's real sweet. <laughs> Although I think this is actually the shift. Box. I think the, the shift, shift came in that box. Oh, yeah. Shift? Okay. Yeah. I don't know why they put the shift in that one. I would say put the put the pro in there, right? Yeah. I, I thought I was going to open the pro, and then I was like, "Oh, it's the shift." <laughs> I'd like to tack on to Dave's comment really quick. That again, Saucony releasing the Endorphin Pro and Speed is based on their research, and there is a research article. The lead author is McClode, and then Jared Ward was actually part of the study where they found that different people respond to different amounts of shoe stiffness, which is one of the, uh, one of the primary things a carbon fiber plate will add is stiffness to the sole. So you're going to have to find out is a really stiff shoe best for you, or maybe something that's a little less stiff that's still got some snappiness. And I think that's why the speed works for a lot of people. And I really like what they did redid with version two. It has worked a lot better. Yeah. yeah it, it's awesome. It's smooth. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, cause I, I, I ran pretty hard in the pro the other day out of the box, which, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have done that, but uh, um, remember coaches cannot coach themselves. Right. Um, but um, you know, I'm not a fan of the pro right now. It's, it's a little too sloppy too much volume in the, in the forefoot. Um, mm. I tell a lot of people, listen, you don't have to go buy the top of the shelf thing all the time. You know, there's a lot, look at the net, look at the alpha fly, other things like that. 90% of the world's runners can't even handle that shoe. Mm. You know, you got to have the mechanics for that stuff. That's why the speed falls in so well, because it's such a versatile, that's why the speed, the Atreyu, the Atreyu, the artist, they're both, even though they're labeled as racers, kind of, I, I consider them trainer races. I mean, racers, you know, you want to put out, put it on for a 12 mile medium long run and just have a little fun. It's good. Back in the day, too, we had most lightweight trainers really were the marathon racing. Yeah. So if you yeah. could train in those. Yes, so. trainer, um, you know, Rachel, all, yeah. um, you know, go back to Etonic, you know, uh, some some real good stuff uh, back in the day. So I think that brings up a great point, too, just because there's individual differences between these, like how you didn't like the increased volume in the forefoot for the pro. I love that change. Mm -hmm. for me that made the shoe so much better for me personally so i think yeah. it's interesting to see because yeah this I is why each person's different so make sure yeah. you know what works for your feet or your body this is why for anybody listening you'll probably edit this out maybe not just don't trust us in the shoe review game because you know everybody's different right um but no at the end of the day yeah it's if you really want to understand shoes you need to find yourself a shoe reviewer that matches up to your style. So, yeah. you know, if you have an, I have, I have a narrow foot. So hopefully anybody who reads my stuff knows that, you know, I can't fit. That's why I struggled with the pro too. It's just a little too much volume. I got to give credit for Nathan. Who's brought that up multiple times and talk and talking to people going, nice. you know, every, every you need to, if you are going to do be and look at people in the shoe review game, you have to find somebody whose feet or mechanics match you. Yep. If it's totally different, it's really not going to play. It's already hard enough because we're all so unique. So you get to just do, do your best. Exactly. So is your answer uh, the speed too right now? You know. It, uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Um, there's a couple things I, I don't think I can say on here that I just got yesterday from our friends down the street in Manhattan Beach. So, um, you know, so. No, no, you can't say that. I can't not say doing this. So, <laughs> no, so. But other than that, also I, not that we're not saying that. No, no. Um, but I haven't even tried tried it yet. But yeah, I'd say I'd say speed too for sure. Um, yeah. 
kind of excited the, the the new Audi stuff that's coming down the line here too. I mean, the new Boston and the Adios we're going to get to try, I think. So we'll see what yep. that does. So. Yeah, I think um, I'll just quick answer mine too, is the speed too. Uh, that's why I had it here. And the first one didn't work for me. I was probably in like the huge minority of people who just couldn't, it just didn't work. Um, and I know they didn't change a lot with this shoe, but they changed enough that it actually works with my foot. For me, the first one just had two things going on. One was the the way that the inside of the shoe um, was constructed with, I think it was how their sidewall, I don't have my own one, but it would just push right up into my arch on both. And, and this one just seems a lot more mild. So I can actually run in this and enjoy it, which I, could, I couldn't in the first one. So that's why I'm really excited just knowing how many people enjoyed it. So uh, does it feel like a like a deli even though it's light and fast does the upper mold do like a it almost feels like a ride to me not 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 totally but just it feels like a more natural just trainer um it's I, not a bad thing by any means i mean it's still fast as all hell obviously on yeah. the i i agree like uh, this is not a plug for us at all i mean i guess it's our channel but um there's i have a comparison video coming out in the next couple of days and that's exactly what i say is that it almost is like a hybrid like it has a performance feel to it but it very much feels like a daily trainer like the tongue and like the wrap and yeah definitely. i would definitely agree too that the last one was unstable enough that the only thing i could use it for was workouts and this this version i'd be like i can actually train in this and i've used yeah. it for daily runs i'm like wow and i, I would agree that that it feels yeah, you could still run fast in it. It does feel a little bit more relaxed, but yeah, it's been some nice changes. I think that will work for more people, which is great. Yeah, they're just doing a phenomenal job in general. I mean, they just they, their stuff is solid right now. Yeah, it is. You know, new but new balance as well. You know, I mean, so, but yeah, I'll, I'll say I'll say speed too for sure. Cool, Matt, David, what do you guys got? David, you you go David, go first. DJ, go first. I've got a couple. I mean, obviously I got to try the pro two the other day. I, I'm pretty happy with that one, but I think out of interest, uh, I'm going to go with the, ad, the adios pro two. I think it's kind of interesting. It looks like they're going back to the basics a little bit with the upper and then just some of the stuff they're doing with the midsole and geometry. I didn't run in the first one, so I don't have anything to really compare it to between like version one and version two, but it's just an intriguing shoe. And then the other one is the Asics Metaspeed Edge because the Metaspeed Sky did not work for me. And so if they are making a polar opposite for a quote unquote different stride pattern, I'm at least interested to try it. You know? Yeah. yeah. What about you, Matt? I've got a lot. I mean, I've got <laughs> the, the shift, the shift too. I've got enough miles on, so we'll have a review of that really soon. I gotta say, I'm, I'm really enjoying the socketing line but I, I think I'm most excited to see the audio, the new uh, Boston, the Audios, and then the the um, the Audios Pro too. I think a lot of people thought that I hated the Audios Pro one, and yes, I had to go to eBay and bought a special version of that, and so I didn't enjoy buying a, a four hundred spending four hundred bucks on a shoe to just get, try to get the first review and then have them change it on me. So I'm still a little sour about that. What? Uh, what? <laughs> That's dedication. It, well, it's yeah. addiction. He called stupid. It's one of you know one of the two. So I am curious to see what they how they update this and what they start doing with their line because I at heart I am a big Adidas guy. I know that's kind of taboo to say coming from like the 
the southwest side of Portland, which is much more Nike territory. But Adidas headquarters is there too. But I, I'm really excited to see what they do with that line. I'm also, I can't talk about it, but also really in, really enjoying some of the stuff that Mizuno has right now. We'll be able to talk about that a little bit more coming up. But yeah, just some teasers. It's actually true. It's true. Awesome. Well, Gregorio, we really are thankful that you're willing to come on the show today. <laughs> no, um, Dave, thanks for giving us your time, sharing wisdom, dropping some uh, nice tips for people. Yeah. Um, these conversations are hopefully, you know, something that people can put in their back pocket and use, um, whether that's, you know, continuing to learn from stuff that we put out, continuing to learn from you, or if it's just things that they're able to learn and use for themselves on the run. So, um, thanks again for coming on and I'm sure we'll do it again sometime. You got it guys. Grateful. Thank you.